But if you have a Bible, if you could, go ahead and turn it with me to 1 Samuel. It's where we're going to be at today. You know, we are going to finish up our series in that we've titled, our summer series that we've titled, He Is, where we've talked about the names of God throughout the Old Testament, carrying over into New Testament truths and what that means for us today as the New Testament church under the new covenant of grace, that these things still apply. And not only that, but they point us to a truth about a God, a big, awesome, mighty God that I think a lot of times we take for granted, we miss out on, and we're distracted by in the day-to-day of our lives. So 1 Samuel chapter 1, we're going to read two verses, verse 3 and verse 11. And we're going to see the last name for this series mentioned in the first time that this particular name is mentioned in the entirety of of the Bible. So 1 Samuel chapter 1, verse 3 and verse 11, two instances where this name is mentioned. The first we see Hannah speaking. I mean, I'm sorry, the first we see Elkanah, the husband of Hannah speaking. It says, Now this man used to go up year by year from his city to worship and to sacrifice to the Lord of hosts at Shiloh. And then verse 11, down at the bottom we see another person acknowledging this same name in prayer. In verse 11 we see Hannah. She says, and it says, And she vowed a vow and said to the Lord of hosts, If you will indeed look on the affliction of your servant and remember me and not forget your servant but will will give to your servant a son, then I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life and no razor shall touch his head. Let's pray. Father God, we just thank you for your word. God, we thank you for the truth that you lay before us. God, a truth that is bigger than us. God, a truth that is more valuable than we'll ever truly give it credit for. Father God, I pray that whatever we come in here with this morning, Father God, that you invited us to lay those things at your feet. God, those things that may be uh, scales on our eyes, Lord, may keep us from truly seeing and hearing what it is you have for us. God, whether it's shame, guilt, fear, or doubt. God, I pray we lay those things at your feet this morning to truly encounter who you are as the Lord of hosts. God, we love you and thank you. In Jesus' holy name, amen. So I think it's fitting that this morning that we end on this particular name. And so when we talk about the Lord of hosts, as you see on the screen, we're talking about Jehovah, Jehovah Sabaoth, Jehovah, Jehovah Sabaoth, or the Lord of hosts. This one's one of the harder ones for me to say. I keep fumbling over it, but Jehovah Sabaoth, or the Lord of hosts. And so... This one is fitting to end this series on, I believe, and really it was by accident that we found ourselves here, but I think it's by God's ordinance that we're here. Because what this name does is it brings into focus all the other names that we've discussed this morning. Not only brings them into focus, but it helps us to realize those things on an even bigger scale than maybe we've even acknowledged as we've navigated through this series. When we've talked about the healer, when we've talked about provider, when we've talked about the Lord being our peace, our banner, our shepherd, and when we talk about the Lord who sanctifies, who's doing an active work for us, and when we talk about the Lord who is our righteous, that brings us into right standing before a holy God in a way that we could not do on our own. And not only that, but a Lord, a God who is there, a God who is present, a God who is present in the mess as we talked about in that sermon. 
So when we think about Jehovah Sabaoth, we are talking about the Lord of hosts, but another way that this is translated is the Lord of armies. The Lord of armies. And so when we think about armies, or we think about the military, or we think about these forces that come against opposition, I like to think of this, when I was thinking about this this week, God is a warrior. God is mighty. God is sovereign. And when we talk about the God of armies, we're not only talking about the God of the armies of the heavens, the God of angelic armies, we're talking about the God of earthly armies or earthly faculties. So we're speaking of a God who is not a weak God, not a God who is an an incapable God, not a God who is trying to catch up to the things that we have to say or that we're trying to do or that we're even doing. Because a lot of times we navigate our life even believing that the things we've done in our life have somehow called God off guard. Church, we serve a God that is the God of hosts. He is the God of armies. He is the sovereign God of the world, the universe, the spiritual and physical realm. There is no place that our God isn't touching or hasn't already touched before we get there. And for us to know that this is a a focus on His control and His leadership... And so when we think about all those other names in in light of this God, I pray that it helps magnify those names even better. And even in our own lives this morning that we navigate this, seeing it for what it truly is. In the Old Testament alone, this name occurs 260 times. In the book of Isaiah itself, he mentions it over 60 times. Bringing about the idea of how big God is. In Isaiah 37, 16, he says, O Lord of hosts, God of Israel, enthroned above the cherubim, you are the God, you alone, of all the kingdoms of the earth. You have made heaven and earth. And so I love how Isaiah here, frequently throughout the book of Isaiah and his prophecy and just acknowledgement of who God is, he constantly comes back to this point of not only communicating God as creator, but communicating God as leader, as worker. As, as, as sovereign ruler over all. What I love about Scripture, what I love about this book, is that Scripture has a high view of God, as it should. Has a high view of who God is. And not only a high view, just an elevation, but a reverent view of God. You know, whether it's in modern day Christianity or whether it's in the, the everyday life at which we handle or deal with God, If we're honest with ourselves, we don't always approach God in this lofty way or in this reverent of a way. You know, like we talked about last week, even unfortunately we treat God as if He's a waiter that we call over to do our bidding when we need it. But God is provider of so much bigger than that, like we discussed last week. But when we think about it this week, when we think about the view, trying to kind of reestablish our view of God as being reverent and being necessary for our good and for His glory, that we would begin to see the bigness and the vastness of the God of the universe, this Jehovah Sabaoth, or the Lord of hosts, or the Lord of armies. Because the reality is how we engage this will make or break our experience as Christians. How we view this God through this name, through this lens, will make or break our experience as Christian parents, make or break our experience as Christian leaders, as Christian spouses, as Christian church members, as employees and employers. 
if, if we don't view God the way that Scripture, the way that uh, Elkanah, the way that Hannah, the way that Isaiah, the way that others would engage God, the way that James references in the book of James, references this Lord of hosts, this mighty God of armies, heavenly, earthly, angelic armies, a conqueror, a warrior. If we don't see God through that lens but we enter into any space of our life with a lesser view of God, we will never truly experience what it is God intends to do in the life of us as believers, as we lead our families, as we engage with the people around us. And so there's two ways this morning. I'll be quick because there's some things I want to do at the end just a little different as as we kind of discuss some things at the end and have a couple of people be involved and we kind of lay out a framework moving forward and inviting you to be a part of some things with our our ministry and how we uh, spiritually form our our kids and ourselves, that there's two things that I want us to see. Two ways we engage this idea of the Lord of hosts in our lives. And it's how we live and how we lead. And I know that seems very simple, but I think it's one of those truths that we have to constantly come back to because it's not always the case for us in how we live and how we lead. And so the first thing is this this morning, to engage this idea of the Lord of hosts, the Lord of our armies, the sovereignty of God, that we would live as if He is capable That we would live our lives as if God is capable. And so when we talk about capable, you know, and we'll get to Elkanah and Hannah and a couple other spots in the Bible where we're mentioning His Lord of hosts and His capabilities. But specifically for us, when we talk about God being capable, what are we talking about? And I think I'm starting with this because I don't believe we always see God is capable of doing some of these things. And so when we talk about capable, I mean capable to save us no matter what we've done. Do we truly view God as that capable? Because if He's the Lord of hosts, then He's that capable. Do we see God as that capable to lead us no matter how far we've traveled off, no matter how far off we've wandered. Because I don't believe we always do view God as that capable to reestablish our path if we wandered too far. A lot of times we feel like I'm too far gone. Do we feel like God is capable to empower us when we feel weak? Do we feel like He's incapable of uh, protecting us when we feel surrounded and just smothered by the enemy or the world, the things pressing in around us? Do we believe that He is capable? And so we have to begin living our lives as if He is capable to truly engage and experience what it is to see God as the Lord of hosts. Because there is a significant under, uh, there's a significance to our understanding of His sovereignty and His reign and rule over all things. And like I said, Scripture constantly goes back to this truth. David writes in Psalm 99.1, he said, The Lord reigns. Let the peoples tremble. He sits enthroned upon the cherubim. Let the earth quake. Psalm 24.10, Who is the King of glory? The Lord of hosts. He is the King of glory. Selah. There's a confidence, church. There is a confidence that comes with knowing God as the Lord of hosts, the Lord of armies. There's also a sense of protection. There's a sense of guidance. And so for us, that's why it's so valuable that we begin to see or we begin to gauge and begin to intentionally, you know, I constantly in, in conversations with my wife and conversations with our leadership team and as we discuss ministry, it's like the theme word of Cross Point Community Church, I feel like, is being intentional. 
Because I feel like for so many of us, maybe you've navigated church life, you've navigated your spiritual life. There are so many times we can just become within the rhythm of that and just lose focus on why we're doing what we're doing and, and the intensity and the passion about or behind why we're doing it. And we just kind of go through the motions of it. And it be, we begin to lose touch of that intentional aspect of why we're doing what we're doing. And so, you know, there's this sense of guidance and direction, the sense of intentionality and in engaging God as the Lord of hosts. You know, and, and, and I love this in James chapter 5, verse 4. This is the only time when this name is mentioned in the Old Testament. And I believe it's because, in, I mean, the only time it's mentioned in the New Testament, I believe because Jesus being embodied on earth was the embodiment of the Lord of hosts. So there was a lot of examples without having to name Him the Lord of hosts. But J- James mentions this in James 5, 4. He says, Behold the wages of the laborers who mowed your fields, which you keep speaking to the Pharisees and Sadducees, which you kept back by fraud are crying out against you. He says the wages of those laborers are crying out against you. And the cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord of hosts. I love this. You know, in the Bible uses this a lot, something called anthropomorphic language, or using uh, humanistic language to communicate attributes of a non-humanistic God. But what it's telling us is that when we live our lives engaging with the Lord of hosts, that no matter what we're experiencing, no matter where we at, that this God hears, that He's engaged with His people, that He's present with His people. And so when we come into the presence of a holy God, when we engage with the presence of a holy God, no matter in the in the mountain or in the valley, no matter in the good situations or the bad, that this God is capable, that this God hears us, that this God has never in an instant closed off His ears to us and pushed us away. Charles Spurgeon said this, and I just thought this was such an amazing verse in light of God's sovereignty, uh, I mean, uh, quote, in light of God's sovereignty, he says, when you go through a trial, the sovereignty of God is the pillow upon which you lay your head, believing that God is the Lord of hosts, believing that God is the Lord of all, over all, in control of all, navigating, moving, leading, and guiding all, that that truth within itself, in the midst of trial, in the midst of difficulty, in the midst of uncertainty, is the pillow at which we lay our heads. One of the most valuable doctrines and truths that we have to believe and hold on to is the truth of God's rule and reign over all things. Like we talked about last week, working all things together for the good of those who believe and are called according to His purpose. All things together. Psalm 84.3. Psalm 84.3, just an amazing verse. He says, Even the sparrow finds a home, and the swallow a nest for herself, where she may lay her young at your altars, O Lord of hosts, my King and my God. I love the personal, just the personal reflection in that from David. My King, my God, that He takes care of the smallest, the least of the, the, the animals in nature, the most vulnerable animals. How much more is He loving us? Is He clothing us? So church, the first thing we have to engage with is living our lives, actively living our lives in this way at which He is capable. Asking ourselves even right now, do I live my life in how I engage with Him, how I engage trial, how I engage leading, which we'll get to, in a way that God is capable. Is He capable? Is He capable to save me? Is He capable to drag me out of the pits of life that I'm in? Is He capable to reconcile broken relationships? Is He capable to provide me pathways to grow spiritually, to lead, to, to, to encounter people, to, to do the things that He's called me to do? Is He capable 
to save me? The answer is yes, because the Bible attests to that constantly. Most of all in the fact that He is the Lord of hosts. And not only that this morning, the second thing and last thing this morning, is not only would we live as if He is capable, but the last thing this morning is this, would we lead as if He is valuable? Lead as if He is valuable. And uh, and going back to 1 Samuel chapter 1, we see these two instances of individuals coming and pleading, making appeal before the Lord of hosts. What are they doing in these moments? Well, the first one we see is Elkanah. And it says, as was tradition in this time, that year after year that the priest and the leader of the family would go to uh, the place where the ark was, the, the ark of the covenant, where God's presence was, and make a sacrifice on behalf of his family, make a sacrifice on behalf of his people. So what we see is Elkanah going before the Lord of hosts, sacrificing and worshiping a holy God on behalf of his family. And so what we see Elkanah doing is he's leading in these moments because he sees the Lord of hosts as valuable, Jehovah Sabaoth as valuable. And able and capable to do something. And so for us to understand the value and importance of God is going to be evident in how we lead and love people. And so the honest question for us that we have to ask ourselves is do we lead like He is valuable to us? Because for a lot of us, maybe we believe He is capable. But then the question is do we lead like He is valuable? And when we talk about something being valuable, it's something we pursue, not only that, but also something we lead others to. You know, when someone asks you for a restaurant recommendation, you're not going to tell them the worst place you ever ate. You're not going to tell them the mediocre place you ate. If they have the option, you're going to tell them about the best place you ate. Because you want them to have the best experience they have can have, right? They ask for your recommendation for a movie to go see this weekend. You're going to tell them about the best movie you saw this weekend, not the worst one. You don't want any of their time to be wasted. You don't want any experience they have to be unpleasant or to bad. We want to point people to the most valuable things that we experience in life. And so the question for us is, are we leading people to the value of who the Lord of hosts, Jehovah Sabaoth, is? Because as we've talked about, he is something worth pursuing and He is something worth leading people to. That the, that the beautiful thing about this Lord of hosts is that the Creator God of the universe has not only provided for His people, but He is involved with His people. And not only is He involved with His people, but He is invested in His people. And not only is He invested in His people for, his own, for, for our good, but for His glory. And God is all about His glory, not out of some narcissistic view of who He is, but because He's worthy of it. The God of the universe that is able to speak things into existence is worthy of glory. And the beautiful thing about us as people today is that it's not about us. That life is not about me. That it is not about my success. But it's about God's glory. But within that, in the midst of God's will, and in the midst of His glory, He intends good for me. And He intends good for you. And so, deflecting our glory for the glory of God and leading people not to our good and glory, but to His, isn't self-deprecating. It's actually self-glorifying and self-edifying. What the Bible tells us, when we glorify and edify Him, it says that He glorifies and edifies us. Then when we lift Him up, He elevates us. But it's when we're leading people to Him and not to ourselves. 
And so when we ask ourselves, what is getting in the way of pursuing God in value? There's always things. It's always the same things. Maybe it's fear. Maybe it's doubt. Maybe it's hurts. Maybe it's just plain apathy or, or kind of a lack of concern about the value of who God is or what He does. But for us to know that the Lord of armies, the Lord of hosts, sees fit to conquer all of those things in our life. And He sees fit to conquer those things in the lives of people around us. You know, because even the next time that we see this mentioned in 1 Samuel, whenever Hannah says it, when speaking and praying to God, in verse 10 it says that she was deeply distressed and prayed to the Lord and wept bitterly. And she vowed a vow and said, O Lord of hosts, if you will indeed look on the affliction of your servant and remember me and not forget your servant, but will give to your servant a son, then I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life and no razor shall touch his head. So what's, what's going on in this moment is she was going before the Lord of hosts just broken and beaten, laying down before the Lord of hosts and coming in for her family, for the future of her son, for the future of, of, of his spiritual life and, and the progression. And you know, we would know that the, that the lineage of Jesus would come from Hannah and all these things would happen. And so she's going before the Lord of hosts because she understands what he's able to do and she's leading her family in that same way. Because even after this, Elkanah would ask her in response to this, what's going on and why she's doing this. And so she'd be leading him, even her husband in that moment. And not only that, but Eli, the priest, he would have questions and it would kind of reveal something to him in that moment? Do we see Him as valuable as we lead people and and approach Him in this capacity? Martin Luther said this, Prayer is not overcoming God's reluctance. Prayer is not overcoming God's reluctance. It is laying hold of His willingness. Man, isn't that beautiful? That we're not trying to convince God to do something. When we pray, we're grabbing a hold of His willingness to do for us. We're grabbing a hold of what He's trying to do. You know, when we pray for God the strength to lead people in our lives, listen, we're grabbing hold of the willingness of what He's already trying to do. We're not trying to convince Him to do that for us. He's already doing that. When we pray that God would help us to lead our families, to lead our spouses, we're grabbing a hold of His willingness that He's already trying to do. The question is, are we engaging in that? Are we pursuing and leading in a way as if He is valuable? Flip over with me really quick, or it'll be on the screen, you can read it with us. 2 Kings chapter 6. 2 Kings chapter 6. I love this moment, because what we see here is we see Elisha, the prophet, and his, and his helper, his servant there, being surrounded by the king of Syria and his army. This massive army surrounding, and maybe you're familiar with the story, this massive army surrounding them. And so what happens is, is that the servant comes outside and he looks around and he goes back to Elijah and he says, listen, the armies are too numerous, the enemy is too strong, there's too much opposition against us, what are we going to do? We're done for. And I love what Elijah's response is here in verse 15. He says, when the servant of the man of God rose early in the morning, this is the servant speaking, went out and beheld, behold, an army with horses and chariots was all around the city. And the servant said, Alas, my master, what shall we do? And he said, Do not be afraid. This is Elijah speaking. Do not be afraid. For those who are with us are more than those who are with them. 
Then Elijah prayed and said, O Lord, please open his eyes that he may see. So the Lord opened the eyes of the young man and he saw and behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elijah. And so what does that have to do when we speak of the Lord of hosts? It says that Elijah saw and prayed that the eyes of his servant would be opened to see what? To see the armies of God. To see these, the infantry of God, the work of God around them. Jehovah Sabaoth at work around them. And so for us, at Cross Point Community Church, in your families, in the community of De Quincey, when we step into those spaces, when we step into our families, when I step into the Rainwater family, when we step into the local church here in Cross Point, we are appealing to the God of armies to open the eyes of the people we are engaging to see what God is doing around them. Every week when I stand up here and preach, I'm not just trying to give you information. Listen, you can sit at home and listen to podcasts with information. You can read books for information. But what we do here, what's unique about the local church and what we do, is we not only contextually, when we say contextually, what we're dealing with, what we're going through, that we know each other. Not only are we contextually engaging God, but we're appealing to a holy God to open our eyes to His armies to His work around us on our behalf. That's what Elijah does to his servant. He says, God opened his eyes so he can see in the midst of opposition, in the midst of distress, in the midst of doubt, in the midst of fear, God, let your servant see what you're truly doing. And time after time again, week after week, Sunday after Sunday, people, non-believers, and even believers are entering into spaces of our lives overwhelmed by the enemy because we've lost sight of the Lord of hosts in our life. This is what people desperately need us leading them towards. And this is what we do week after week. Is to engage this truth. To see the beauty of God's might and His majesty, His work, His grace, His mercy, His judgment of sin, and His defeat of death. Unfortunately, we can allow distractions to retract His value in our minds. That we can allow lesser things to draw our attention. And we begin leading people to lesser things from the reality of who He is. And we can even allow our company, the people we, uh, we associate with or around, to drag us into apathy. To drag us away from being what these people need us to be. More importantly, it is so easy for us to enter in. And I'm saying this from someone with experience, even in recent years in my life. That it is so easy for us to settle into apathy. To settle into kind of a lack of concern in our relationship with God, within our spiritual lives, within in seeing God for who He is and leading as far as who He is. It is so much easier for us to settle into those complacent places than it is for us to grab a hold of those people around and bring them up. Way too often, we're brought back. But what those people in our lives need, they don't need us to be like the other people they hang out with. They don't need us to be like normal people. They need us to be a people that believe in the Lord of hosts, that surrounds His people with armies that fight on His behalf. People need to know that there is victory in the midst of the, in the battle. People need to know that in the worst experiences of their lives, that there is a God, a Creator, that is invested with them to help 
to provide, to support, to heal. Church, people don't need us to just be their casual friends. People need us to lead them to a valuable Savior. Deuteronomy 4.19, it says this, he says, And beware lest you raise your eyes to the heaven. And when you see the sun and the moon and the stars and all the hosts of heaven, you are drawn away and bow down to them and serve them the things that the Lord your God has allotted to all the peoples under the whole heaven. He's speaking of creation. He says, listen, don't look to the things of creation and begin to worship the things of creation that God has allotted you to have. He's allotted us to have these things, but don't bow to these things. Being distracted or leading people to less valuable things. Because Moses would say in Exodus 15, 11, he says, who is like you? Like, when's the last time we asked ourselves that in our private prayer? Sitting here in our pews, on our commute to work. Listen, it doesn't come natural for me. It's not going to come natural for any of us. That's where that intention comes back. Moses said, who is like you, O Lord? Among the gods, little g-gods. Who is like you? Majestic in holiness. Awesome in glorious deeds. Doing wonders. Who is like you? Church, this is the first time that the Lord of hosts is used. This is the first time that the Lord of hosts is used in the Bible. And I think it's significant that the Lord of hosts is not used in reference to a war. That the Lord of hosts is not referenced in, 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 in a battle. That the Lord of hosts is not referenced in this mighty kind of uh, conflict that's taking place. But the first time that the Lord of hosts, the Lord of armies is mentioned is in reference to a family. Isn't that just unbelievable? That if we're talking about the Lord of armies, why haven't we talked about Him from Genesis through Exodus, through Leviticus, through all these, these times of plenty of conflicts, through plenty of wars? Why wasn't the Lord of armies referenced? Because I truly believe it's because God sees that the greatest battlefield that we navigate is the battlefield of our families. As husbands, as wives, as parents, leading our children, even now, man, if you don't, I mean, this is the hardest time for families to navigate right now because the enemy is so numerous around us. And the first time that the Lord of armies is referenced is in reference to our families. Elkanah going to the, the, uh, to the place to, to, to worship God, to sacrifice to the Lord of hosts. Uh, Hannah going and pleading on behalf of the Lord of hosts for her family, for her kids. So church, what this is, and I've gone way longer than I meant to, but I want to transition into a moment where we begin to talk about why this is so valuable. Because the greatest thing that we do as a church the greatest thing that we do as people in our family lives is something called spiritual formation. You are going to hear me talk about spiritual formation more than you ever want to hear those words again. And I, I've been saying it for a long time, but I want to just really, we're going to lean into this so heavy moving forward as far as how we approach and interact with spiritual formation. When we talk about spiritual formation, it's how we teach, it's how we worship how we pray, how we disciple, how we engage the unbelieving world around us. All of these things are spiritual formation. So when we talk about spiritual formation, we're speaking of this idea, and I've used this with my leaders before, that God uses moments to mold us. 
And, and, and leading people to the value of who God is is leading them towards spiritual formation. That it is, spiritual formation is an intentional approach to who God is, appealing to Him, and to make the most of every moment that we have. You know, like I said, it is so easy for us to go week after week and just go through the motions with our kids, with our time of worship, with our instruction. But we can't afford to do that because what we have the responsibility for is spiritual formation in the lives of our kids who they need to know about a God of hosts, the Lord of hosts, of armies around that is, that is for them, with them, and surrounding them. And so what this does is it invites us to practices that move us, from, move us from a life of superficiality to one of depth, to one of freedom, to one of abundance. And so when we talk about this, you know, I want to be clear that these practices, when we talk about reading our Bibles, that we need to be, when we talk about praying, when we talk about worshiping, when we talk about being present in the local church as often as we can, these practices, these disciplines, they don't earn us God's favor, or nor should we participate in spiritual formation to impress others. But the goal is to equip us to live in the presence of God. To believe He is capable and to lead others that He is valuable. And so when we engage in spiritual formation, it's this idea. And so for us, that we see eternal value in every moment we spend appealing to the Lord of hosts to defend, to protect, to open the eyes of our families, our kids, our spouses, our friends, and to see the work that He has done and wants to do with us and through us. And so what I want to do, you know, I think it's very important. I'm going to walk over here awkwardly and grab this microphone. What I want to do is I just want to, specifically for our two younger groups, for you to hear just just a really quick something from, uh, you know, Dinah and and my wife KK kind of organized the schedule and, and set up our volunteers and stuff for our two younger kids' ministries, just to hear just a little bit about the curriculum that they're doing and just, it's just some things on their heart in regards to that. And so Dinah and KK, babe, if y'all come up just real quick. Um, We'll start with Dinah. So Dinah, she's the, she kind of leads up our Crosspoint Nursery Ministry, which is birth through three years old. And I just want her to share a little bit uh, in regards to our curriculum and then uh, just a little bit with her heart as far as the spiritual formation that we enter into. Now it's on. Nope. Now it's on. Good morning. Um, I took my notes on my phone because I'm not great at speaking. So, like Jake said, we have birth to three years old in the nursery. And I really feel like this time is is an opportunity to lay a foundation of truth about God. So, the curriculum that we use is ABC, Jesus Loves Me. And I chose the two-year curriculum because I feel like that's a really good medium between the two ages and it's really easy to just kind of mold it around what's best for either class there's bible stories with fun songs and games to help solidify the things that we're learning and memory verses that we sing to the tune of popular children's songs the nursery is held in two different rooms so in our first room we have our zero to one years old And I like to call that the baby room. We have a crib, a baby swing, toys that are age-appropriate, and snacks if they're old enough for snacks. 
We also change diapers and can give bottles. Um, in the second room, it's two to three years old. We have toys that are age-appropriate. Um, we have a TV that kind of plays songs and videos that are about God. We color and have color pages. And every once in a while, we'll bring a craft home. So um, with that, it's the more volunteers I have, the easier it is on me and on everyone as volunteers. Right now, everybody is switching out um, one week a month. Everybody, uh, each person goes into the nursery and will just help with the babies. Now, Brittany, Bean, and myself, we try to go in every single week and teach the lessons. I feel like when there's a rotation of volunteers, it's a different face every week. And for newer kids, that can be kind of scary. And so I really feel like familiar faces is just so important for our babies to feel comfortable with. Um, but I would love to have some more volunteers, volunteers to fill in. Um, it does, wouldn't necessarily have to be an every month thing. We also need help with check-in. So if you, you know, if you don't feel comfortable watching kids or that's something that you really can't do, if, you know, you want to help with check-in where we get the kids' information and make sure everybody gets to and from their parents safely, I would really love that. And one last thing, if anybody has any ideas or questions, please just come to me and I would love to talk about it. Thanks, y'all. My name is KK, and I kind of oversee the pre-K four through the first grade class. Um, I have uh, four other ladies that share this rotation time with me, and um, I appreciate them so much. Y'all don't hate me, but I'm going to make y'all stand up. I have, uh, y'all stand for me, my other four people, please. Miss Ashley Masley, I have her right here. I have Miss Rebecca Neal over here. I have Miss Quinna Woodard, and then I have my mom there in the back, Lori Mitchell. They are incredible, incredible ladies, wonderful volunteers, super creative and super dependable, and um, they make the rotation in that age group just really easy and flow really well. So I just wanted you guys to know if you have a kid that age, that's who's with them every week, if you're not seeing um, who walks out. So in that age, we feel that... um, those kids can stay with us during the worship time. They can engage. They can learn the songs. Um, so, you, you know, you see each week they stay in here, and then they get dismissed after worship. Um, the curriculum we do is called Gospel Story for Kids, and so it's a New Testament curriculum. Um, just a few examples of what we do is uh, we have uh, the Fruit of the Spirit, the Beatitudes, Armor of God. Those are the, some of the topics we go over. Um, the neat thing about this curriculum, uh, just if curriculum intimidates you, if you don't have that teacher mind or anything, it's very well laid out, in my opinion. I'm not a teacher myself, but I feel it's easy to follow. Um, We get in there. We typically have a prayer time. Um, It does come with a a storybook that kind of lays out the lesson for you. It gives it to you in story form. Uh, We have a color sheet. A lot of times we have a craft. Um, I know uh, the ladies that share this rotation with me, they're super creative, and sometimes they even bring in their own ideas to go along with it. Um, But even during the snack time and the coloring time, it's still constantly wanting you to engage in the lesson and just make conversation with the kids. So you're just not sitting there just talking the whole time we're in there because their attention isn't long enough to just sit. We're constantly moving. There's tables. There's floor time. So 
it changes up throughout the, uh, throughout the time we're in there. Also, too, uh, one thing I just wanted to say that I've learned just in my time of uh, teaching kids classes or ministry in general is um, if you do take part in a rotation, it may be a misconception that you're missing church for that week, but um, I just, as a testament myself, can tell that uh, even in these simple children's lessons, there's always something that the Lord reveals to me, maybe something I've read a hundred times before, and he reveals something new, or just may remind me of something that I needed for that week. So it's always a blessing, not only I feel for the kids, but for me as well. Um, So anyway, that's pretty much what we do in that class. Uh, A lot of our kiddos are going to be moving up, and we're going to be getting a a new crew, and um, that's pretty much it. So if you have any questions, or if you're ever interested in serving in that area, then just let me know. So as you can see, you know how much I just I, I appreciate you guys um, so much, and and also so you know I wanted you to hear from them, and, and I'll talk about our other two ministries moving forward. But I wanted you to hear from them specifically because I want you to know first off what we do. You know we were supposed to have a volunteers meeting today, and you know what I said we're just going to do it during this because it makes so much sense. Because what we're doing in these ministries, the spiritual formation, we're appealing to the God of Hosts to open the eyes of our children, to open the eyes of, of ourselves, to see what God is doing. And so when we talk about the gospel story. And in, uh, in our nursery, you know, you'd think, well, they're too young. But listen, we're reading scripture over them. We're praying. We're singing. We're, we're teaching them about Jesus. They're, they're hearing that. They're getting that. And that's forming them. You know, and then moving up to our Crosspoint Kids 1 or pre-K through 1st, you know, as they're engaging in, in, in that curriculum there. And, you know, hearing the, you know, those New Testament stories and how they tie to the gospel. Like all those things, man. It's so valuable and so important. And then so our other group, our second through fifth grade, which Ron and Brandy and Nia and Garen help us with, you know, they, they're, they're, the curriculum they're doing is just a little step up. It's, it's kind of a next level. And what is it is, is it's 52 questions. And these questions uh, are very specific. You know, these questions uh, uh, talk about, you know, who God is. You know, just to give you an example, one of the questions is, can anyone keep the law of God perfectly? You know, I mean, that seems like a pretty big question, but the way it's laid out in this curriculum is called the New City Catechism. And, and, and all these questions are the, kind of that same idea. They're very deep. They're very thick, but they're answered easily. And you learn the question. You learn the answer in a scripture that goes with it. And, you know, in every level, we want to just increase the depth just a little bit so that we're not just kind of settling into norms, but we're truly moving into spaces where we open our eyes to who God is, to what He's doing around us, and, and, and engage Him for the the might and that he has for us and the work that he has for us. And so, you know, uh, going into August 15th, you know, we'll be kicking off these things again. We'll be getting into the second book of our, uh, of our uh, older kids group, our second through fifth grade group in that New City Catechism. There's an app for it, parents, that's really nice. Or even if you're not a parent, you don't want to go through these questions. It's meant for adults, but it has a kids section too. So it's a, called New City Catechism. It's an app you can download on your phone, but it's just a really great structure. I really love it a lot. And, and and uh, I feel like our, our leaders hadn't complained about it too much. Not to me anyway. So I believe they like it too. 
Um, and so that's, you know, the, 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 the places at which, first off, that you can help volunteer and you can enter into that space of spiritually forming our kids and you being spiritually formed in the midst of that. Uh, but then also what we're excited about moving forward in conversations that even me and Ron were having yesterday about uh, a youth ministry that we're going to start um, in, in August, that we want to start meeting weekly on Wednesdays with our students, 6th through 12th grade, and to begin to pour into them and to begin to, to, to have a time specific where they have people engaging with them, where we have men and women leaders that are getting into a space where we're having a teaching time, where we're breaking off into male and female groups and having small group discussion and praying, having events. Like, you know, next weekend, uh, those, some of those leaders are going to be bringing our kids to go eat and to come swim, just fellowship and love on each other. And so, you know, there's an area there to lean into and to be involved and to spiritually form. And then we have men's groups, women's groups that will be getting kicked back off again in August. And so, you know, there's all these ways. And all of these things we do are not only living as if He is capable, but leading as if He is valuable to help see, to spiritually form us into people who engage with the Lord of hosts. So church, you know, we've said a lot today. But if you have questions about any of these things, please come and ask us. And, and for you, for this morning, as we finish up, because this has been a little bit longer, but hey, it kept us from having to have a meeting after. What we do today is I pray we begin to live as if He is capable. Capable to save. Capable to redirect. Capable to recover us. Capable to empower us. But then also not only is He capable but He's valuable. He's valuable enough for us to lead others to Him. Valuable enough for us to lead our families, our spouses, the people around us. That we're not allowing our company to drag us down but we're pulling our company up to what He is and what He has us. So church, let's finish. Let's pray this morning. If you could bow your heads with me and, and just personally evaluate where you are in this with God. Have you been living as if He is capable? Have you led as if He is valuable? And whatever that thing is that's, that's hindering your living and loving and approaching God in that capacity and leading towards Him, that we just we engage and believe that He's capable to recorrect those things. Fear, doubt, shame, guilt whatever it is, that we see He's capable. And not only that, but within the context of our families and our marriages, even in our single life, as we people who are single that engage with, with people outside of this and the relationships and friendships, that God is valuable. That the Lord of hosts, the Lord of heaven's armies is on our side. And if we make an appeal to Him, that He is there with us. He's in the midst of those battles with us. So church, let's pray And appeal to that God even this morning for ourselves and for our church as a whole as we move forward in spiritual formation and opening the eyes of our kids and the community around us to the truth of who He is. Let's pray. Father God, we just thank You. God, I thank You for this truth. I thank You for who You are. God, I just want to pray that You would just allow us and and encourage us to actively participate in praying and appealing to the Lord of hosts to open the eyes of those around us to see what it is that You're doing for us, with us, and through us. God, maybe it's loving on babies in the nursery. Maybe it's teaching Bible lessons to kids that will barely interact with us, but just preaching Scripture over them and teaching them. 
God, maybe it's teaching lessons to toddlers and pre-cares and first graders. God, maybe it's leading out a second through fifth grade class. Maybe it's engaging with middle school and high school students with the gospel and, and, and being invested in their lives. Maybe it's engaging in a men's and women's group. God, I pray that you would lead us to be people who are appealing to have our eyes open to the truth of who you are and what you're doing in our lives. God, allow Crosspoint to not be complacent. God, don't let us be just going through the motions. God, let us be intentional with our spiritual life and our spiritual formation within the local church and the way we lead our families and the people around us. God, I appeal to you. We appeal to you here this morning in those regards. God, we just love you. Lord, we thank you and praise you in Jesus' holy name. Amen.